Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I want you to know that we serve the God. He'll tell you to see something before it ever comes to pass. If there is one thing consistent about God, it is that He asks you to see something that is yet to come to pass in your life. See, I have given Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Carry, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with all the armed guards going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the priests carrying the trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua commanded the people, do not give a war cry and do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people went home, returned to camp and spent the night there. I'm sorry, the light on my stage is really hard to read. My eyes are perfect. I went to an optometrist. He said, I have eagle vision, but we are in darkness here. We weren't last week. So I'm just going to read it like this. Can you see? Oh, this is a red Bible. Can you see this is a lined Bible? Clean Bible, dirty Christian. Dirty Bible, clean Christian. That's, that's a good go-to truth right there. Yeah, that's it right there. You can read it with me from my text this morning. They got up the next morning and they took the Ark of the Covenant, verse 13. They carried the seven trumpets, blah, blah, blah. Let's come down to verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. The the wind of the Spirit is blowing. Uh, And they marched around the, the seventh time around when the priests sounded the trumpets, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. One more, one more passage of Scripture. We're going to dive over to, to 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, verse 3, where the Bible says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Divine power. Not natural power. When you've got arms the size of mine and you've got Tuks Tokoa sitting on the front row, you're grateful that you don't, might not have natural power, but you can have divine power. Come on, every weed out there, give me a little amen. Come on, we're in this together. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought 
and we make it obedient to Christ. That'll, that'll work, won't it? My kids are, are always asking me about different things that may or may not make it into heaven. Do you ever have this conversation? I mean, there'll just be random moments where my kids will just roll up to me and they'll be like, Dad, is boy the cat gonna be in heaven? And I must admit, you know, sometimes I give them different answers to that question. In my heart, though, my answer is always consistent because all cats are going to hell. (laughs) If you read the Bible carefully, you'll find that that is a subtext of the Bible that cats are absolutely going to hell. The Bible says that the spirit of lawlessness will be cast out into utter darkness and cats don't have masters, they have servants. They're lawless, they're going to hell. If they asked me the question about the dog, then it would really depend on the day. I mean, today, Coco has not had any accidents inside. She's going to heaven. You know, a few days ago where she pooed in the house, she's going to hell. So I know we we get asked questions like, Dad, will we play Minecraft in heaven? I've had this question. Anybody out there ever had this question? You know, kids are like, you know, will we get get lollies in heaven? Because I'm busy telling them that sugar is of the devil. And then they're like, Well, what happens when we get, you know, people have got lots of questions about heaven, don't they? For adults, we want to know new things. We want to know, hey, when we eat, you know, that big feast in heaven, will we get fat? You know, I've got got dreams for my heavenly body. Anybody else out there got dreams for their heavenly body? I want muscles on my heavenly body. Anybody with me? I'd like the ability to tan. That would just change my life. If I could just be anything other than white, pink and fluoro pink, then I think heaven would have a promise for those who who wait, right? I mean, we've got lots of questions about heaven. And the reason why people ask so many things, they're like, you know, when we get to heaven, will we be married? (laughs) And depending on who you are and what your marriage is like, you've got a different hope for that question, okay? Some people are out there like, I want to be with my... Other people are like, well, I get to graduate, you know? Will I get a better one when I get there? I mean, I'm enduring, I'm faithful, but you know, God, surely I get an upgrade when I get to heaven, you know? This guy, I put up with him here on earth. Surely you got a better one for me when I get there, you know? Like people have got different answers to the heavenly questions. But the reason why it's so difficult for my kids to get their head around heaven is because they're asking me questions about heaven based on the life and the, the desires and, and the things that they have while they're here on earth. And, and that makes heaven so challenging for an eight-year-old to get their head around, right? Because when they're asking me questions about heaven, it's based around things that, will we play Lego in heaven, you know? Will we have a skateboard? And is it true that we can breathe underwater? And the questions that we have about heaven are based on the temporal reality of our life here on earth. And it's so challenging for us to get our head around what we may or may not have when we get to heaven, because when we get to heaven, it's just simply gonna be a radically different place to the life that we have here on earth. And, And one thing that I can tell you is that a lot of the questions people have about heaven are based around the affection they currently have for something here. Has anybody out there ever had something in their life that you've really, really wanted? Uh, I mean, you've coveted it, you've craved it, 
something in your life that you've thought, if I could get that thing, then it would just radically change my life, you know, and, and you, 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 you began to take photos and save them on Pinterest, not that I've ever even been to the website, but, you know, people do, I don't, I don't get it, but they do, you know, and, and you've got favorites on your, you know, website browser, and, you know, you've got a faith goal and a savings plan, and you're really believing for something, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, my kids do this as well, and we, we all do it, we, we save for things, we want things, if I can get this thing, it's going to change, anyone ever had this, and, you know, like I really want it or it's going to change my life. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I'm praying for it. I'm believing for it. You finally get the day when you get it. And the moment that the thing arrives, it's gleaming and shining and beautiful and new. And you're like, this has officially changed my life. I will never be the same again. Thank you, God. Thank you, savings plan. You know, thank you, tax refund from faithful tithing. Whatever it is that you had to do to get the thing, the moment that you got it, it's like your whole life was better. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anybody got something like that that you're currently hoping for? Can you just give me a little wave? Yeah, about five, 10 people are honest enough, a lot of liars out there. But then, then there is the other thing, right? You've got the thing that you're currently believing for. And if you know anything about people, you know also that there is a, another place for the things you did believe for. It's called, it's a Greek word, it's called garage. Or if you're yet to have your own home, it's called, you know, wardrobe, where, where things that you thought would radically change your life are now accumulating dust in a place where you no longer value. Just, I, I Ash, good. Uh, just got to smile for the camera. But, you know, people are, people are hoping that something is going to jump into their life and change it. And they want it and they have it and they desire it and they crave it. And then suddenly yesterday's consuming passion is today's forgotten thing. And it can feel a little bit like we, 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 we're wanting to know about the quality of what we've got in heaven, but then if we're real and we go a little bit deeper, I wanna encourage you to go a little bit deeper in your thought about your life today and consider the fact that many of the things you craved yesterday, you no longer value today. And surely heaven is not gonna be a place where God just answers your prayers quicker in your garage and heaven gets filled with more rubbish. And surely heaven is not just a place where we get to have today's temporal dreams come to pass. There's gotta be a cure for this sickness, right? There's gotta be something greater. Well, let me tell you what's missing in my children's interpretation of heaven. And, and I'll be honest with you, parents, if you're trying to figure it out, I don't know, maybe you're better than me, but I started off being like real spiritual with my answers. And I would be like, you know, this boy going to heaven, I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, you know, well, we get to eat as much as we want. No. You know, and I'll be like, and then we'll, we, we, we'll, 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 you still be our dad in heaven? And I'm like, no. I mean, <laughs> some mornings, definitely. No, 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 no. When you wake during the night, no, no, no. But you know, when, when we get to heaven, I, I was trying to be all spiritual and, and really breaking it down for the kids. And I realized that this just simply wasn't working because they, they weren't at a maturity level yet to understand that when you and I get to heaven, friends, it is not the same as the life that you have here. Because when you get to heaven, what will be radically different about that place is that we will be for the first time in the, the uninhibited, un, unfettered, we will be in the unrestricted, perfect, consummate presence of the Almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We will be for the first time in our lives in the presence of Jesus. 
And in heaven, it won't be like the life that we have here on earth because we won't have temporal desires anymore. We won't have lacks anymore. We won't be needing someone or something to plug a deficit in our flagging sense of self. When we get to heaven, we will have Jesus. And because we have His presence, because we have Him, there will be no lack and no desire and no longing And if you've ever felt like life has taken something from you, you're gonna realize that Jesus is more than anybody could ever take. And if you've ever felt like you're despondent, you're gonna realize that there is more cause for optimism than you ever could imagine. And you'll never know what it is to feel like you are without or you are lacking. Because in heaven, we will just simply get to worship. We will just simply get to worship. And even when I say that out loud, there's different reactions because some people, the Spuros in our church are like, yes, we're just going to worship. It's going to be amazing. And then there's some guy out there who's never, ever opened up his life, can't even read the Psalms. It's like, what is these books all about? And you just love like Ephesians and Romans where it's like just breaking it down, the factual details of the Bible. And you just like to argue and do business and stuff like that. And you're like, worship. I don't want to worship, you know. And again, it's so hard to communicate that you and I, we are actually born for the presence of God. When we get to heaven, team, I I don't know if I can, I'm going to stumble. It's going to be inadequate because you're going to be filtering it and you might have more maturity than my children, you might not. But the truth is that at some level, we're all struggling to comprehend the fact that when we get to heaven, we will have Jesus and we will get to worship Him. And in worshiping our Jesus, we will have the fundamental thing that our lives have always craved and desired. Come on, let's take a praise break. If you believe that that might change your life in every location, give God some praise. Heaven, 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 heaven. It's gonna absolutely change the script of your life, the way you think, your priorities, everything. It will be radically different, a totally new place. And my friend, heaven is the place that God made for us. The Bible says in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, that when Isaiah saw the Lord, that he saw these seraphim, powerful celestial beings with more knowledge than you and I could ever fathom who have existed for all eternity. And the Bible tells us, that for all eternity that has been and for all eternity that will be. They have been circling the throne of God day and night for millennium of human history and their song has remained unaltered. They didn't never tired of their song. They never craved a fresh worship experience. They just continue to exclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory and the moment their song begins, their song, their song ends, their song begins and they renew it and they sing it with fervor and zeal and they've never lacked. I never felt like the record was stuck because every day they are circling back, not to a dish that they tire of because their taste buds adapt or not to a scene that they once were grateful for or a DVD player or that's so old school, like an iPad or some new phone that they really wanted and they finally got it or an overseas experience that you thought was going to make you complete and realize that you're just the same old you and there's still the same old needs and the same old desires and the same old lacks. No, no, when you get to heaven, It never gets old. Your taste buds will never stop craving it. 
I mean, you name your favorite dish, you take it and take it to a zenith and then you just say the name Jesus and you've got what heaven is like, the most consuming passion of your life. Take it to the ultimate and then realize that that will just be you every moment of every day. You'll never be asking a question about can we have and do we get? We just get to stand in the presence of God and in our worship of the great King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we will feel for the first time in my life that we have everything that we need and this is the best place to be. And if you're excited about worship, can you give God some, give Him some praise. And the Bible tells us about heaven that the one who was in charge of worship in heaven was originally one that we know now as the devil. An angel led the angels in heaven. Before humanity had ever come to be, there was a lead choir member and his name in heaven was actually known as Lucifer. And Lucifer, the Bible says, if you read uh, Isaiah chapter 14, and if you read over, not only in Isaiah 14, but you wanna read it at home in Ezekiel 28, you'll find a great description of what Lucifer was like in heaven. And the Bible describes him as having ornate stones covering his entire being. I mean, if you think you've got a top that makes you look great, well, you know, you've never had stones. I would just like just a couple of bumps in my abs in my 40s. That would be radical. I mean, he had, he had ornate stones covering his chest, instruments that came out of him. He was majestic in beauty. The Bible describes him as being so majestic. He was, he's described as the son of the dawn. Have you ever seen a beautiful dawn? You'd know that the Bible is not attributing something small or, or insignificant. It's saying that this was a beautiful and powerful celestial being whose job was to lead the people to worship. And the Bible says about Lucifer that as the angels of heaven began to worship God, something in his heart was incensed. And he thought to himself, so much is being directed through me to God, through me to God, through me to God. You got to know about your life that your destiny is through you to Him, through you to Him, not to us, but to your name. Be all glory always. It's not just a song that we sing. It's a life that we live. If you believe it, shout amen. And the devil, the Bible says, was, was given this entrustment, this job, this role, yet he craved some of the worship for himself. And so the Bible says that eventually he tried to orient the worship towards himself and he was cast from heaven and sent to earth. And when the devil got to earth, the Bible tells us that because it only had his influence, it was dark and void there was no life and there was no health. And then God said, I am going to rub this in this fallen angel's face. I'm gonna make a lower being. I'm gonna call it humanity, men and women. I'm gonna make a lower being than the angels. The Bible tells us about Jesus, that he was made a little lower than the angels when he became a man. Hebrews chapter one, and my friends, he made you and me. And you are visible and finite and limited and you do not have the ability to fly through the air and there are limits to who you are, but God gave you something that the devil will never know. The ability to worship. What he had in heaven, what he craved for himself, he will never have again, but God gave that gift to you and I. 
And you understand the, the story, and I've got to really compress it for time, but essentially Adam and Eve chose to agree with the lie of the devil and to disagree with the truth of God. And every problem in your life begins when you begin to agree with the lie of the devil and disagree with the truth of God. If you want to find a, a source for your troubles, if you're going, why am, I, why am I so this? And why is this problem in my life? And why is my marriage not better? At the root of it all, you're going to find a moment in your life that you agree with the devil and you disagree with God. If you want life, just take every verse of Scripture that is in the Bible and say, I believe it and I agree with it. And God is right and the devil is a liar. If you want life, then how about we stop agreeing with the one who came to destroy our lives and we start agreeing with the one who came to give us life. Come on, if you believe it, give God a little bit of praise in every, every venue. Come on, let me hear your carpet, praise Him. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve brought sin into this world. They handed over the reins of this world to the devil. If you question whether the devil has the reins over this earth, then understand that when Jesus was tempted, the devil said to him, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you all kingdoms and all their authority. And Jesus never disagreed with the devil. So now we have the devil's influence in everything, 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 everything you touch has the devil's influence in it. Before there was sin in the world, Adam and Eve planted crops and they produced harvests. Now, the Bible says, with the sweat of your brow, you will have to tear out the thorn and the bristle and the briar, and you will have to work against the naturals. But there was never a famine in Eden. There was never lack in Eden, never animosity or bitterness or hatred. But everything that is in this world seems to work against. And God said to Adam and Eve, I'm going to allow you to have a choice. And that choice that you make is going to have a powerful ramification because at the end of the day, the reason why I made you is so that as a lower being than the devil, you could demonstrate the power that is available if you wouldn't just be a people who live unto themselves, but if you would be a people with less innate power than the angels, but you would choose to worship then because of your worship towards me, then something powerful that the devil could never give to you is gonna happen in your life. If you, if you would choose to worship me, then that is gonna lift you beyond the power that the devil has. Because the devil has been robbed of his splendor and robbed of his beauty and robbed of his magnificence. And God now wants a lower people to begin to worship Him so that He can begin to display in and through our lives the power of a life that is connected to worship. And man, if you want to look at the devil's influence in our society, you'll find that wherever people covet, he's a, he has a way. Wherever there is bitterness, the devil is influencing. Wherever there is hatred between humanity, there is there is the devil's place. And the Bible tells us that God said, I'm, I'm gonna unlock a door so that these things will never be consumers of your life anymore. I'm gonna give to you the ability to worship because when you worship, it is the cure for our covetousness. When you worship, that will be the birthplace of faith in your life. How many people know with me that it's not the size of the problem that really is the obstacle. It's whether or not I believe that God can bring me through and take me out. If I have God and He's with me and I'm in the middle of the fire or I'm going through a desperate situation and I know that God is with me, it might be a difficult day, but it is a destined life. Do you know what I'm talking about? But when you don't have faith in my friend, it can feel like the smallest of life's pressures can absolutely take you down. Does, 
Does anybody identify with this? Yet the Bible tells me that I can do something powerful. I can come anytime I want to. And I get to choose to worship. To worship you, I live. And as I begin to worship God, well, now I get to step out of the way that I feel. I get to step out of my temporary desires. I get to separate myself from whatever is trying to consume me. And I can step into the very presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And how many people know you might come to Him down, but He lifts you up? You might have felt defeated, but you get towards God and you get something rise on the inside. Even in darkness, light shines for the upright. Oh, David wrote and he said, well, I was in the mud and in the mire and I felt life had no future. And then God came to me and He said, man, you need to put a new song in your mouth. Start praising God. Start praising Him. Connect with God in worship. And then the Bible says, it's like He just lifted me out of the mud and mire and He put my feet upon rock. And now I'm like, man, my life's got some forward traction. I've got somewhere to go. I've got places to be. I've got a life to live. There's a future ahead of me. And man, and when you connect with God in worship, oh my friend, the devil tries to lie to you and pull you down. But when you come to God in worship, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just a bit excited. Some pe- Half of you are like, go harder. Some people are like, I wish that guy would stop yelling. And I, I understand that. But, but every, the reason why is because every natural force in this world opposes your worship. The, the every desire of, of hell is that you would not worship. When you're too proud to lift your hands in worship, you're not a strong man, you're a weak man. You care more for the opinions of people than you do for the praise of heaven. Do not fear man who can kill your body, fear him who can kill your very soul. When a person says, I'm too busy to worship, my friend, that very person doesn't realize how faulty that that attitude could ever be. You're not too busy to, you're too busy not to. We all need to worship. The devil wins whenever we say that worship is not really important. It's just something for the weak. The devil's like, absolutely, you keep believing that. I want you to believe that because the God of all strength is the one that you're worshiping. Is this not true? And all the time, God is saying, my every desire is for you to worship. And I wear one of these eye watches. I've got an eye watch. And the reason why I wear it is because it monitors my activities throughout the day. And when you're 44, you're just trying to keep that calorie count low and that activity count high. And I wear it every day. And yesterday I was getting ready for this series. And suddenly my, my watch began to beep at me. It beeped at me. And so I looked down at it. And literally, this is what it said on the screen. I've seen it a few times before. But I, I checked it out when it happened yesterday because I knew about this message. And I thought it, it might help me to provide an illustration. I don't know if you've got an eye watch out there or something similar, but my watch literally just said, breathe. I'm not kidding, Anna. I looked down at the screen of my watch and it said, breathe. You need to take a minute to breathe. I was like, what the heck, what the heck is that? So I began to check it out and I learned that they put a new app on the iWatch because they felt like people were just too connected and too, too going for it. And they want to encourage everybody to just take a minute Let's all just breathe. When you live in a world that says we need to zip your wrist once an hour to get you to breathe, when, 
When you've got a, a, a yoga class or a spiritual retreat or people start talking about retail therapy, how about we start to sit up and take some notice of the fact that we maybe we're anxious and we're stressed out and we're worried and we're troubled because we just became a Martha generation that were worried and troubled about many things when there's only one thing God really wants for you. And that one thing is that you and I would just worship. That when we come to God in worship, that is the cure for what ails us. That is the victory over what holds us down. Man, if Daniel was willing to stop three times a day to worship, if David was a guy who wrote the Psalms and got a connection with God and then was able to bring down the giant called Goliath, then maybe you and me, whether we're busy in commerce or politics, or maybe if we're aiming to be successful in sport, or maybe if our life desire is just to get further ahead than we are now, maybe we all need to recognise that the most important thing that we can do is to just give God a little bit of time to stop our activities, to reconnect with the God of all glory. We live to worship, worship. Now today I wanna talk to you uh, just in a couple of minutes about the power of seven days of worship. We're, We're reading this morning about Joshua and the Israelites as they got to the walls of Jericho. And the Bible tells us about them that they reached the walls of the city. And when our text is written, it's about what happens next. But to understand this, you've got to remember that it was 700 years before this that Abraham found himself standing approximately or in the vicinity of where Jericho was and sang out loud to his wife, the Lord has just spoken to me that He's gonna give this land to us and to our descendants. And everything that you can see, Sarah, it's gonna be our country in the days that are to come. And I reckon the devil might have heard that. And the devil might have thought, if there is gonna come a day when God's people are gonna have this land, if somehow this family, Abraham and Sarah, who've been barren, if God is, you know, what God says generally comes to pass, so I better make sure that I'm ready. And he says to his demons, he says, you know what we need? We need something that when they cross this Jericho River, this Jordan River, We need something that is so foreboding. We need something so scary. We need something so intimidating that when they get across the river, they look at this thing and they freak out. Their fears become so big that he's like, I know what we need. We need a city right there. We need a city. We need a big city. We need a city so large they sell apartments in the walls. We need a city so large that they race chariots on a road around its circumference. We need something. And he's had 600 years, you know, to change the landscape. And 600 years later, 700 years later, when Israel arrives finally back at this moment in time, the Bible tells us that there is this city called Jericho. Twelve spies are sent over to look at the land that is on the other side. And the Bible says that 10 fell exactly into the devil's plan. They looked at it and they were intimidated. And whenever you feel fear in your life, you've got to know that that is the work of the devil. Do you need me to say it again? Whenever you feel fear in your life, that is the work of the devil. There is only one legitimate fear that we should ever experience, and that is the fear that we ever could feel of standing in the perfect beauty of God and saying to ourselves, I never want to ruin the love that he has for me. 
And the Bible tells us that 10 spies were overcome with this while two spies stood with them, but they didn't seem to get intimidated by it. And the Scripture tells us about these two spies that they had a different spirit because they followed God wholeheartedly. While 10 looked at the walls and looked at the city and thought, man, we can't do it. Two spies have been connecting with God and worship and what intimidated 10 did not intimidate the two. And here we've got Israel, and I need to make this real short, but we've got Israel about to step across at this amazing moment. But you know the story that the words of the 10 caused the entire nation to stop. And have you ever thought, have you ever thought to consider that for every person who's ever thought that worship was a waste of time? I'm here to tell you that four decades went by because 10 spies failed to take the time to worship. You might look at your to-do list and think, I don't have time to worship. I'm here to tell you, you don't have time not to. You might be facing problems and pressures so big that you're like, I better not take the time to worship. And all along, God's saying, no, you better, because if you don't, then you're gonna spend more wasted time. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath kept taunting the armies of Israel until one young guy who'd taken the time to worship looked at Goliath and he said, I've written a song about what God does in moments like this. How about we take him down this very moment? I still believe there are Goliaths and I still believe there are Jerichos. I still believe God's got a plan for you, my friend. God doesn't want you to be intimidated by obstacles or overcome by fears. And so God literally said to Israel, we're going to have seven days of worship. That's what we're going to do for the next seven days. I want you to march around the walls of Jericho. And all I want you to do, I don't want anybody, and no moaners, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, no moaners. No conversations, nobody's allowed to talk. No, 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 no afterglow. This is gonna be the most awesome fast you've ever had in your life. You can't say anything. Eat what you want, but keep your mouth shut. I reckon I reckon that, that a lot of people here would struggle the most with this kind of, no gossip, no gossip. We're not gonna have any of that. No slander. We're not gonna have any of that. We're not gonna backbite people. No, no, no. We're not gonna give the devil place for animosity. No one's gonna talk about how big the problem is. We're just gonna listen to the songs of worship. We're just gonna walk around the walls of Jericho and we're just gonna hear when my, when my head doubts who you are. I'm reminded of the waves you parted. Slaves to freedom started. They just heard this worship team just singing. When my faith is put to the test, I'm reminded of your sons who worshipped through the furnace they lived. When, when my dream feels like it's over, I remember from the chains to ruler stood the coat of colour. And when my soul feels depth defeated, I remember that I'm alive in Jesus and and they just get walking around the walls of the city is here and over and over and over songs of worship songs of praise and something began to happen on the inside of these people maybe you're facing a big obstacle in your life today maybe you feel intimidated maybe you feel overcome well I want you to know that the smartest thing you can ever do in any desperate moment of your life is to worship 
because as the days roll by, seven days of worship just caused something to change for these Israelites. It's not like the walls got smaller, but their God got bigger. And maybe you've been struggling with, with fear, but I want you to know that when you worship, love begins to drive out that fear. You might have felt like you're just always wanting, but when you get into the presence of God, you'll realise that you have all that you need and you're content with your life and it's a good life to live. You might feel bitter. I'm here to tell you, don't focus on your bitterness. Focus on your worship because as you stand in the presence of the God who is so holy and loving yet forgave us of every wrong we've ever done Him, man, we begin to feel His love and forgiveness just oozes out from us. You might be struggling with pride, but you'll find humility. And I want you to know the smartest thing you can do in your life is to worship. How about we tell the devil, Lucifer, you're fired from my life. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.